Hey, podcast friends, Chaz here. Uh, today, you've got a real treat for the podcast. Uh, Scott and I have a conversation about his new book, The Hum of Angels. But before we get there, I wanted to let you know of a special opportunity for you, our Kingdom Roots listeners, to receive a copy of Scott's new book, The Hum of Angels. All you have to do is share your favorite line from today's podcast with the hashtag Kingdom Roots on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll put you in the drawing to win a copy of Scott's new book. We're going to be doing the the drawing on January 10th, so all you have to do is share your favorite line before then if you want a chance to win that copy of, of the book, The Hum of Angels. So we look forward to hearing your favorite line, and without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on our podcast, we have a conversation about Scott's new book, The Hum of Angels. Well, Scott, I hear you have a book coming out soon about angels. Um, just give us some some inside scoop. What's the book about? Uh, angels. Yeah, there we go. Um, I sat down with my agent, wonderful agent named Greg Daniels, uh, a few years ago, uh, and we discussed at Egg Harbor in Libertyville ways of examining um, what's going on in the church today and topics that need to be freshly examined in light of my expertise, and that's biblical studies. So we decided on three topics. And um, Waterbrook kindly stepped in and offered us contracts for these books. The first one was on heaven, and we wanted to examine uh, the issues about uh, near-death experiences and all the things that are being said, and uh, some of it quite crazy, about heaven on the basis of experiences. Uh, then we, uh, we talked about angels, because there are a lot of angel experiences and Chaz, I've been pretty impressed with the number of people who, when I tell them I'm writing a book on angels, mm -hmm. will, will say something like this. Do, do you have a minute? Mm -hmm. And they'll take me maybe into a little bit more of a private spot, uh -huh. private space, and say, I had an amazing angel experience one time, and I've never told anyone about it. Huh. So this has been part of my research is in the last few years is to read literature of research on angels and then to examine what the Bible has to say. And I put this together in a book called The Hum of Angels. The third book, uh, which I'm working on now, is a book on the Holy Spirit, and I'll wait to share the title of that at a later time. But uh, this book is about, in a sense, uh, these three books are about the experience of God in our world today. And uh, people experience God in near-death experiences, they experience God in angels, and they experience God in the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at, at the experiential side of Christianity and trying to throw fresh biblical perspective on the way people are talking about these today, both as an encouragement of stuff I'm hearing and at sometimes some slight corrections. So. Yeah. So it would be that's safe how to the book arose. Yeah, that's how it came to be. So it would be safe to say, huh, that people believe in angels still today, and that's a, a very meaningful, oftentimes, experience that people have with God. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to start with this. In I'm an Anglican, and 
In every worship service, every Sunday, we say this. Uh, it's, it's in uh, the preface in the Sanctus, it's called. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. Now, that company of heaven would be, uh, could be taken to be the communion of saints, and it could also to be taken to all the supernatural beings who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So here, here we say this every Sunday, and I'm not kidding you. Because of what I've been doing with this work, I sometimes, I sometimes wonder uh, if I could just ask a question. How many people in the room believe in angels? Well, there have been some very good sociological studies on angels, and I just want to I want to share some of this. Um, listen to this: in the Baylor Religion Survey, one of the best researches ever done that that gives us collects information about what Americans believe. Eighty-eight percent of women believe in angels, and seventy-four percent of men believe in angels with an overall percentage of 82% of Americans believe in angels. Hmm. Uh, 93% of the religious, that's a group, a category, believe in angels, only 69% of the spiritual. Well, at the same time, in about 2001, there was a, another study done that came to the conclusion that 88% of Christians believe in angels, 90 95% of evangelical Christians believe in angels, and 94% of those who attend any kind of religious institution believe. And overall, they came to a very similar conclusion that 77% of American adults believe in angels. So, you know, do people believe in angels? You know, a, a guy like Klaus Westermann or Rudolf Bultmann would say, you know, people don't believe in angels anymore. Well, yeah. I don't know what that means when it says that 77% of Americans in general, not just Christians, 77% yeah. of Americans believe in angels. So, yes, many people believe in angels today. Yeah, I think it would be safe to say. So in your research and as you kind of dug into some of those things and people, even people's own um, experiences and, um, you know, their their own insights and beliefs that they have, what have you found to be some of the biggest misconceptions that people might have about angels? Misconceptions. Well, let me, before I do that, I got to quote Carl Bart. Carl Bart in his, uh, his uh, church dogmatics has a brilliant section on angels. And he basically says, take God and the angels or drop both. But God without the angels is impossible. Here's a quote. He says, it is true, of course, that we can miss the angels. We can deny them altogether. We can dismiss them as superfluous or absurd or comic. But then he says this, if we cannot or will not accept angels, how can we accept what is told us by the history of Scripture, or the history of the church, or the history of the Jews, our own life's history. And then he says this, where God is, there the angels of God are. Where there are no angels, there is no God. That's wow. a man who is a major, who is probably the major theologian 
of the 20th century, Karl Barth, created neo-orthodoxy, and he basically says, take God and the angels or drop both. You can't have one or the, without the other. Where there are no angels, he said, there is no God. That's because Karl Barth was rooted in Scripture so often. So I think it is fair to say that uh, that uh, that it is a it is central to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. It is central to the Bible's teaching mm-hmm. to believe in angels. So on misconceptions, you know, I I really. I didn't sit around and compose all the misconceptions about angels, uh, but I would say the first, the first um, misconception of angels is that they are uh, chubby cherubs. Now, this is this is an expression. I think it's in a book, and I may have used it, but it became one of Chris's favorite expressions. I spent uh, a month of one sabbatical in Assisi, Italy, uh, home of St. Francis. And we wandered through the town every morning on a lengthy walk. We walked from San Rufino area all the way down to San Francesco. And it was kind of a a long slope. And then we walked our way back and we had a nice coffee at the um, little cafe outside of San Rufino near the apartment where we were staying. And we would go into all the church. We went to in almost every church in Assisi while we were there. And in every church, I think, we saw these pictures, these paintings, these frescoes, these statues of these cute Gerber-like uh, babies shaped, I'm sure, by Cupid uh, that were just these chubby little cherubs. And you look at them and you smile and you think they're cute. And sometimes they have a horn that the, or a trumpet or a horn that they're blowing, uh, but they flutter around with little wings, and they're like little Gerber babies. Uh, and this this creates the impression that angels are innocent, sweet, sugary little things you wanna with chubby cheeks and chubby fat on their legs and their bellies and their arms. They're like our little babies, and we want to hold them. And but we know they're gonna grow up and get big someday. So right now we're gonna enjoy them. Um, and, um, then the other one is that they're sort of a wispy, ethereal, we call them seraphs, uh, wearing long draped gowns and they blow horns and they're sort of ethereal, invisible, ghost-like things. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these are the images of angels that have come our way and become natural because of the history of Christian art, when people draw angels from from the days of Cupid on, angels took on the image of a chubby cherub uh, prior to that and around the same time, or at least surrounding them, also are the pictures of angels as seraphs. Well, the image of angels in the Bible is clearly not a chubby cherub. Yeah. The The angels in the Bible cause people to be, you know, uh, they're scared. They're afraid. Uh, you know, they probably, um, they probably wetted themselves, you know, <laughs> if I can say it that, I mean, this was a frightening experience to encounter an angel. Angels in the Bible tend to be fierce, full of light, power, um, 
a bolt from out of the blue where suddenly you encounter someone that it creates awe and fear and fright, uh, like you want to run away from it or you bow down because it's so overwhelming. And so I think that's one of the major, the major issues. And then I think another major uh, misconception about angels is that um, every experience that humans have of, of a sort of a, a visionary or an experience with some kind of angel-like being uh, leads to infallible words that every one of us has to believe in. So in other words, uh, if, if you come to me and said, I had an angel who told me this, uh, then you're supposed to believe it because they had this supernatural experience or this out-of-body experience or this powerful experience. And it has led many people to believe everything that angels tell them, and it almost creates its own, uh, you could call it a seraphic religion, where people believe whatever the angels say in spite of what Jesus has taught, in spite of what the Bible says. So that's a, a very common misconception that every one of these type experiences is from God and therefore leads people to know the truth, and some of it would be positively contradictory to what the biblical message in the history of the Christian tradition teaches. Wow. So that's that's fascinating. You know, I wonder what you would say from you know a biblical perspective. Obviously, with all the study that you've done previously and, and for this book, you know, what is the truth? You know, what are angels, and why are there angels that that even exist, and what's their function? Well, let let me say this: that in the Bible, I mean, people believe in angels. I think for one of three reasons, or for all three, because they're in the Bible because they've had experiences, or because of Christian art. That's the, the dominant reason why people believe in angels. But let, let's look at what the words are for angels in the Bible. And there's a little bit of a debate among scholars as to uh, what counts as an angel, because some people would say uh, seraphs and angels are not the same thing, or they would say that not all supernatural beings are angels. Uh, so there's a little bit of a discussion uh, of, of what counts. Are the cherubs angels, or are they cherubs? You know, there are different words that are used here. Well, uh, an angel uh, I would define as they are messengers for God sent on mission. So you could say they are spirits on mission. They are, in, in one sense, um, disembodied personalities, huge long discussion of this in St. Thomas Aquinas, Dis, in a sense, disembodied persons who are sent by God on mission, and there are probably millions of angels. Um, and so, but I, I would add to that that they are sent on mission to, uh, for our redemption, uh, so the, the good angels, as it were, are sent by God to us uh, to help us in, in our redemption, to further us forward in our Christian life, etc. So um, angels uh, are spirits sent on mission for our redemption. I think that they are seen in the Bible also as leaders in redemptive worship. They're not just uh, communicators. They are messengers sent. They are leaders. They are very active in our world. One of the great lines 
is found in First Peter, where you get the impression that the angels are peering out of heaven into the worlds in which we live and trying to figure out what's going on and hoping that they'll be sent next. They're, they're kind of hoping that the door will or that window will open for them and they'll get sent on mission. But they, they seem to be curious and very active in our world. But probably the most important thing is they are concerned about you and me. Uh, angels yeah. in, the, in the biblical presentation care about humans. They care about humans, that they will worship God, that they will be redeemed, that they'll do the work of God in this world, that they'll further justice and peace and compassion and love. So uh, let's say this, that angels then are God-saturated and worshiping beings who, whose worship in that sense is interrupted when God sends them on mission to us in order to aid us in our redemption or to teach us something that we need to know that God wants us to know. And is that kind of the idea you think the concept of the guardian angel comes from and people hold on? Because I feel like that's a, a pretty popular view that a lot of people have and hold on to of having guardian angels. Yes. Um, I think the fundamental idea of a guardian angel is correct in this sense that God sends angels to protect us, to redeem us, etc. So the only development there was the belief that each one of us has a guardian angel. And not only uh, do we have a guardian angel, uh, but there is one angel assigned to each of us. Um, I don't think the Bible teaches that quite as clearly as, yeah. as, a, as a lot of people believe. But uh, there, are, there are a lot of Christians, theologians. Um, Peter Kreeft has a beautiful book on this, and he knows his, I think his angel's name, his guardian angel's name is Francis or something like that. Wow. <laughs> he, and his, he and his wife both have angels. I read a book by uh, a medical uh, scientist, a, a doctor in England, um, who wrote a book uh, uh, on angels in which he can recognize the voice of his guardian angel on a regular basis. So I, I found a lot more people believed in guardian angels than I expected. Um, I would I kind of side with John Calvin on this, and that is um, at times God sends angels to guard us and protect us. I am not confident that God has assigned to each of us a guardian angel. Uh, but one of the one of the themes of the angels in the Bible is protection and guarding. And if we're going to be biblical in our theology and let the Bible shape what we believe, then I think we need to affirm uh, the importance of, of guardian angels. So in your study, what was the thing that maybe most surprised you about what you learned as you dug into this concept of angels? Uh, probably, uh, I mean, I'm a, I've been a Bible reader for a long time, for four decades, uh, more than four decades, um, almost five, come to think of it. Um, I, I was surprised, I think, in my study of, of the unmanageability of the, of the concept of what the Bible says about angels. In other words, there are hundreds of passages in the Bible where angels come up. 
and it is all over the place. And I and I look at, uh, I I break them into three themes that God's loving presence. I break it into the doctrine of what I believe about love, that love is a rugged commitment uh, to be with, to be for, uh, unto Christ likeness. So I I I looked at angels as sent by God because God loves us. He they are the presence of God in our lives. They are our advocates uh, in many ways, and they are sent for for us to become more Christ-like, for our redemption. So I've looked at that, but I I mean, here are the kinds of breakdowns that we have. There are guidance angels, there are advocate angel events, guardian angels, announcement angels. You know, to, uh, this is Advent. Mm -hmm. This is a Christmas season. We talk about angels uh, announcing things to Mary and to Joseph and to Elizabeth and to the shepherds. There are temptation angels, angels present at temptation. There are big event angels. It seems like every big event with Jesus, the angels are around. But in the history of Israel, the angels are present in big events. There are warrior angels. Angels judge. Angels liberate. Angels are send on. They send us on mission. Angels intercede. Angels also, I think, lead us in worship. So there are all kinds of themes in the Bible. Uh, that express God's love for us, his presence with us, his advocacy for us, and his, and his working in us for our redemption. And angels are involved in all of these events in the Bible. So if we're, I think Carl Bart is absolutely right. Uh, you either got God and the angels or you don't have God or the angels because yeah. they're, they're there in the Bible all over the place. Yeah, that's obviously true. So uh, just curious, with the title, The Hum of Angels, what led you to go with that title and why'd you title the book that way? Well, it starts with a story. Uh, the book starts with a story that, uh, I, so, so I'm going to let out a secret here, Chaz. Uh, I was at a local bird store and it was a really high quality bird store. And I was wandering through, looking at what the what the what they sell. It was a it was a new place, bird seed and bird feeders. And are there low quality uh, bird stores? <laughs> yes, yes, there are. You go to Lowe's and you get okay. the cheap stuff. Uh, yeah, there's. A, so this, this wasn't was a, that. <laughs> this was just for bird watchers and bird feeders, and so this was uh, this was a high. It didn't last long. Let's put it that way. Uh, he was selling his bird seed for too much money. Um, I have a hard time spending a lot of money feeding sparrows. Yeah. I got to tell you that. Yeah. So I, I, I run across a hummingbird feeder and I say, I say to the guy, I said, uh, I put up a, a hummingbird feeder many years ago and I filled it up several times for about a month. Never saw one. I said, I, I, I said to the guy, I just guess there, there aren't hummingbirds in my neighborhood. He said, where do you live? And I told him where we live, you know, in the village of Libertyville. He said, sir, I want you to know there are angels. There are there are um, hummingbirds all over the place in Libertyville. And I have friends who are neighbors of yours and they have hummingbirds on their feeders all the time. And then he said this. He said, you just have to develop a knack to see them and hear them. Mm. And I said, yes, uh, you're probably right. And. So Chris and I got another bird feed, another hummingbird feeder, and we put it up. And lo and behold, uh, we had a little bit of time, and we watched. And suddenly, 
We had hummingbirds all over the place. And then we developed the skill of spotting them. And we spot them all the time when other people can't see what we're even looking at. And we have developed an ability when we're outside to hear the hummingbirds. So that's where the hum of angels uh, comes from. And the idea is this, is we have to develop the knack of hearing the hum of angels. But to hear the hum of angels, we have to be open to the presence of angels in our world. We have to be open to seeing angels at work where we might not otherwise see angels. Um, Chris and I tell the story that we were, uh, this is another story about being in Italy. We were uh, visiting a city called Verona uh, in the north. Um, and it was a, I'll put it this way, it was a, com a complex set of roads and we had just flown in and we were absolutely exhausted and we were going to get lost. And it seemed like it was a city made of concentric circles. And we're driving and we're looking at a map and a man taps on our window. And he says, if, if I remember this right, he says, uh, can I help you? Well, of course, we, we don't speak Italian well enough. And I, I told him where we were trying to go. And he said, can I get in your back seat? So he got in the back seat and he directed us to this hotel. And I'm not kidding you, Chaz. There is no way Chris and I could ever have found that hotel. We probably would end up sleeping on some hillside in northern Italy. <laughs> wow. Uh, and we get to the place and we open up the door and he gets out and we say thanks. And we turn around and we look and he's, he's nowhere to be seen. Hmm. And uh, maybe we were just distracted long enough for him to disappear into a door. I don't know. But all I can tell you is that experience right there is so common to people who have experienced the presence of an angel that I'm inclined to think that that was an angel, an angel sent from God just, uh, just to give us a little protection, a little guidance, a little moment of redemption in our life, a uh, little comfort. and. That's the only way I can explain it. And and I've, I, I know a lot of people. I've read hundreds of stories of people who've experienced angels in a very similar manner, many of them far more significant than getting lost in a foreign country, mm -hmm. many of them at the deepest levels of redemption and protection. Yeah, wow. Those are great stories. Well, uh, we're almost out of time here for our podcast today. Any closing thoughts to wrap up our conversation? You know, um, I would like, uh, I would urge uh, leaders in churches and teachers and preachers um, to develop a Christian theology of angels. Um, because, let's face it, if we are lectionary readers in our churches, or if we are given to looking through lots of passages in the Bible over a year or over a few years, angels are going to show up. How many times have we entered Advent or the last four weeks before Christmas or the Christmas story, and we read about angels, but we never really say much about the angels? They're, they're cute backgrounds to the Christmas story. Uh, they're part of our artwork. We probably have them uh, painted on the walls in our churches, or we have them somehow hanging and dangling uh, from the ceiling in our church scenes for Christmas. But we don't ever develop a theology. Christian people, you'd be surprised 
at the number of people who have encountered angels who are looking for a word from their pastors, from their leaders, from their teachers, from people who write books about the angels that they've experienced. They'd like to know that they're not weird. They'd like to know that what they experienced is actually the sort of thing that happens for people who believe in the worldview of the Bible. Uh, in, in the rest of the world, visits of angels are not at all uncommon. But in the Western world, they they happen, but people are absolutely terrorized almost by the thought of telling others that they had they had a vision of an angel. But I cannot tell you the number of people, leaders who have never told their congregations, uh, Christians that I've known for many years who say to me, I, I'm glad you wrote this book because I've been afraid to talk about angels in my life, but I've experienced angels a number of times, and I think I have a guardian angel. Uh, I think we need to develop a, a Christian theology of angels that is not just critical of weird stories that we hear, but it is informed by the best research on angels and by uh, biblical theology of what uh, is said in the Bible about angels. And so I would encourage people to, to read my book, and I would also encourage them to look at the footnotes and to build a little bit of a library and to do some study on angels. So when it comes next time at Christmas, they'll be ready to give a, give a sermon on angels, uh, angels connected to Jesus and angels in our world today, something like that. So. Right. Thanks, Scott. Well, yeah, here yeah. at the new year, you, you pastors and those speaking in church already got your next Christmas sermon planned, uh, it sounds like, for you. So, well, we thank you for joining us today. I hope the conversation has been helpful for you in, in your life and journey as you just learn to discern, as Scott said, the hum of angels and be, begin to be able to see them at work uh, in your life uh, and their role in the kingdom. And so to close, I want to encourage you with two things. Make sure um, whatever line resonated with you from our podcast today, take a chance to share that on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag Kingdom Roots, all one word, hashtag Kingdom Roots, and we'll put you in a drawing to win a, a copy of Scott's new book when it comes out. And also take a chance to get on Amazon or wherever you get your book from and uh, pre-order that book. It's coming out February 7th, and uh, you've heard a little bit about it, but it'll go deeper into um, this discussion of angels from a biblical perspective and how um, God uh, intercedes in our life through those experiences. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation here on Kingdom Roots about how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.